This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You are listening to Over and Back's Basketball Mysteries of the 1970s. Today's mystery is, who were the best players of the 1970s? Uh, welcome to the show. I am Jason. With me as usual is Rich, and we're here to talk about who were the best players of the 1970s. Before we get into that, we should kind of explain uh, what this series is all about. Um, we are going to uh, talk about the 1970s by looking at a whole lot of different topics, uh, different uh, different subjects, different players, some of the the best teams and we're going to approach each show as if it's a mystery that we are solving. We are these basketball detectives who are uh, <laughs> going to try to figure out uh, who, you know, um, the answers to these questions. And it, it's going to be more about the conversation, you know, not every mystery gets solved. So, you know, I, I'm not sure what our, you know, rate will be as basketball detectives, how effective we will actually be in solving these problems. But, you know, we're all, we're, we're here to just, Share history. Hopefully, you'll learn something. Um, you know, dig into some things that um, you haven't heard about. For us, there's a lot of things here that are uh, new to us, or things that we've just kind of barely know about, and, and digging deeper into. So, uh, yeah, really excited about this series. I, yeah, it's gonna be great. yeah. Um, you know, it, it's gonna be a lot of fun. So, um, you've heard. I think a good place to start is like, hey, who are who are the 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 players who were the best of the 1970s? Some of them are definitely household names, and some of them are, you know, you're if you're you have to be more of a hardcore fan to, uh, or you know, dive deeply in dove deeply into history to really uh, be into these players. Absolutely, yeah. It, when you talk about the best player, I think the first name that comes to many people's minds, and and, and rightfully so, is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You know, Luol Cinder, of course. He, uh, you know, if you use win shares as you know your metric of choice, which we we, we use from time to time uh, on this 
show and and and, and you know we Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is your guy. I mean, he 190.8 uh, win shares for the decade, so he's pretty far ahead of of the other guys. I'll, I'll mention some other guys here in a little bit, but uh, when you look at that historically of Kareem's, you know, 190.8 uh, second most win shares accumulated in a single decade. Uh, Wilt is uh, number one in the 60s. Uh, he had 200.6 win shares, but Kareem's right on his tail. I'll just give you an idea of other guys. Uh, Dolph Shays in the 50s, he was 128.4. Uh, Magic Johnson was the uh, win shares leader in the 80s. He had 136.8. Uh, Carl Malone was surprisingly your top guy in the 90s at 162.2. Maybe not surprisingly if uh, people uh, follow Carl Malone's career, which breaking news, Carl Malone was very good. Uh, and in the 2000s, Dirk Nowinski, actually, that surprised me a lot at 149.4 as the uh, the top player of that decade per win shares. Uh, kind of looking again at the 70s, other guys... Um, and just a little bit of a warning, I'm going to do NDA only after this because you're going to go, oh, my God, those guys just statted, pat, you know, got a bunch of numbers in the ABA. That doesn't count. That's the lesser league. Or, you know, I'm upset about that. I don't know who you are, but uh, Artis Gilmore at 124.2. He was second to Kareem, so you could see that huge gap between those two. Uh, Dan Issel uh, using win shares would be third at 118.8. Uh, Julius Serving, Dr. J, of course, 115.9. And then Elvin Hayes at uh, 98.4. Uh, if we just do NBA only, so let's not list, look at ABA, guys. Let's just do NBA. Uh, Kareem of course, still at the top at 190.8. Uh, Alvin Hayes at 98.4. Walt Frazier at 97.4. Bob Lanier uh, joins the list at 94.8. And then Wes Unseld at 93.8 there. Jason, anybody there that that kind of you go, oh, really? That guy? I didn't, I didn't expect him to be there. But yeah, um, I guess I am a little bit surprised at Frazier being so high just because, um, you know, by the late 70s, he was definitely, you know, a lesser player. He dealt with injuries. He was traded to the Cavs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he, he was an, certainly an elite player for, you know, the first five or six years of the decade but he kind of fell off after that so to, to him to be you know third among nba players and six overall is uh, pretty impressive i you know i i want to push back on this idea that the aba was you know definitively the lesser league i mean agreed yeah. by the the first two or three seasons of um you know the aba was around which was 68 69 and 70 seasons i would agree yeah it was probably the lesser league but you know they they were competing for talent and um and obviously by by the end of you know once the merger happened and um the team started you know to to um you know the the leagues were integrated and the stars you know the the former aba teams were you know two of them won divisions the first season um you know they were i i believe you know close to or you know the half of the all-stars that year i mean um you know the aba talent was for real and a lot of those teams were really really strong so i think um, you know, I'm fine with you know, the, just having the NBA look just because, uh, you know, I, I think it's interesting to kind of look in both directions. But I really do think that, um, y- you know, we, we shouldn't make the assumption um, that the ABA was the lesser league, particularly after the first you know few seasons of the uh, ABA once the really once the talent was really started to be built up. Yeah, absolutely. And and yeah, you can make the argument maybe the lesser talent, the the end of the bench guys were probably way worse than the end of bench guys, you know, in the NBA. But when you look at the top talent, a lot of those, I mean, pretty much every one of those top guys that when they went to the NBA were still very good. You know, Julius Irving, I think, was still pretty good in the NBA. Uh, Artis Gilmore, uh, guys like a Dan Issel. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about a few more other guys as well that, that you know, when they jumped to the NBA or when, when eventually they got merged with the NBA, they all went there and they all pretty much did pretty damn good. And let's not forget, you know, they had 
had Rick Barry for a few years too, and he was you know one of the best guys in the NBA at that point. So yeah, the idea that yeah, it's a it's a totally a lesser league. I think is it, it, just not fair at all. I mean yeah, again the guys that didn't play like yeah, there's probably guys in there that that you know the second the merger happened they went back to whatever you know factory job they had or, or whatnot. But yeah, when you talk about the elite level talent, there are some really awesome players in the ABA that that competed against each other on a nightly basis. So yeah, this idea that that like Artis Gilmore was just playing against like children is is just not fair at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I, um, you know, looking at, um, you know, winters per 48, uh, you have, um, you have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar who leads not surprisingly at 0.262. Then, um, you know, a couple guys who were part of the, um, who were part of the seventies, only the early part of the decade, a Jerry West 0.214 only, only spent uh, you know, 70 through uh, 74 in the ABA. And then Will Chamberlain 0.211, which oh, he retired in 73. I uh, tried to go to the ABA, but that didn't work out. We're going to have more on that in a, uh, in a future episode. Uh, Artist Gilmore, a 0.211 exactly tied with Wilt. Interestingly enough, kind of that he was the most comparable player in, in terms of style and, um, you know, uh, and size to uh, Wilt. Um, and then Chet Walker, uh, who I, I think would surprise Welcome. a lot of people, you know, yeah. played for the, um, the, I think by, he, he, I forget exactly what year he went to the Bulls, but he was um, he played for the Sixers for in the late sixties, and at some point went to the Bulls and was part of their strong uh, teams in the early seventies. So I want to say seventy three. Let me let me look that up to I see. That was a little uh, bit, was a little bit early. Oh no, I'm way yeah. wrong. Uh, oh no, yeah, no seventy. Okay, so he was there. Okay, for all the seventies. Gotcha. So, okay, so this entire decade was a bull. Okay. Yeah. So um, so yeah, I, yeah, he's a guy who um, you know, a really good player, but um, you, you kind of overlooked. He'll, he'll be definitely a guy we have to dive into a little bit because he has an interesting story and we've talked uh, here and there about that that uh, 70s bulls being one of the better um you know teams that never made a finals but but you know we're basically in a historically great uh western conference dealing with you know incredible lakers teams and incredible bucks teams and just didn't have the room to um you know get past that point uh, a few other kind of numbers. I, I think this is interesting. We get a few different names here. Uh, points per 36 minutes. And this is, I, I did a minimum of 300 games when I was looking at this because it, it gets kind of wacky, especially if you only do a certain amount of games. But uh, number one on the list, uh, Walter Davis. Yeah. 26.7. Walter Davis. The getting grand, yeah. Yeah, that's it's real. Uh, it's just cool. Yeah, it's just a guy that you wouldn't have. I, I was on my head. I would not have thought would, would be on this list, but it makes a lot of sense that he is because the guy scored a ton of points in in great efficiency. Uh, George Gervin, uh, twenty six point three. Uh, David Thompson, twenty five point two. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar jumps on here again at twenty four point nine, and then John Drew at uh, twenty four point nine, exactly teamed with uh, uh, Kareem in terms of uh, points per thirty six. So it was an interesting uh, collection of guys there. Yeah, I, I don't think John. Uh, you know, Walter Davis was you know great uh, Phoenix player. Um, actually joined after he, he came in on 78 so he, he joined in late in the decade he was more of an 80s player but you know he he had enough games he counts um to, to be part of this but he is a um you know he he's a really good um he's obviously a really good scorer he's six-time all-star and um you know kind of got involved in a drug scandal in the late 80s so his um that kind of uh hurt his how he's remembered with the uh even though he was a really you know one of the better sons players of uh, all time uh yeah john drew um he was kind of he was a really good player for the uh you know for the hawks in the late 70s they actually had some pretty good uh teams after they got rid of pete maravich um and 
uh, and then was uh, involved in the Dominique Wilkins trade uh, that uh, that netted him uh, that netted the Hawks that pick. So um, <laughs> so that so that was nice. Of, uh, and netted Utah John Drew. So yeah. hey, <laughs> cool. Didn't do much. Didn't do much in Utah, Sean, but by then, but, <laughs> but yes, they also got Simon Williams, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, too. I think so, they, I would agree. Yeah, I, I mean, once you you know, obviously, like the top stars are Yavis Kareem is very well known, although he's better known for his '80s stuff than his uh, '70s stuff. We we have a whole uh, podcast on. Kareem's uh, life and career on the uh, 70s, um, which we, uh, uh, we, we, which we, you know, we will we'll be kind of retweeting and, and, and showing some, of, you know, getting some of our old 70s episodes out there. So people, you know, if you haven't checked it out, if, and if you're waiting for new episodes in this series, you can always check those out as well, just to you know get a sense of some of the 70s stuff that you know we we're, we're going to try to avoid, uh, you know, re- repeating ourselves too much. So it's good to listen to those episodes too as, as well. But um, you know, there's a lot of interesting things to unpack about uh, Kareem's career. And we're going to talk about you know the Bucks and some of the things involving Cream in, in this series, but um, yeah, obviously by far the star of the decade. So you know, and obviously Dr. J is well known. Um, you know, a handful of these other guys are well known, but there's a lot of guys who just aren't really. You know, they didn't have longevity, or they didn't really have you know a power team to. Um, they played for a lot of the ABA teams, you know, don't exist anymore. So they, the constituencies that were there, uh, you know, for them, you know, aren't they're not really remembered because their legacy isn't, you know, living on through an active team, you know, stuff like that. It, it, there's a lot of, uh, you know, lost guys, obviously not as much yeah. video um, of, of, you know, of a lot of these guys. You know, there was more instability. So guys weren't sticking around with one team for as long, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, and, that, and that's a big reason, you know, what you're sort of talking about there is a big reason why we chose the 70s to do this with, because it's it's such a, a an interesting decade of, of you know, there's so much parody where there's not really a dominant dynasty team, and there's, you know, this whole other league that comes and forms, and they, there's these teams and these franchises that build up, and then they just go away, and, you know, blink of an eye, sometimes overnight, sometimes, and, like, they just all that history is gone, and the league was kind of bad at, like, video, and it didn't have a TV deal, and, you know what I mean, like, there's just so much weird stuff that it, it's just a, a decade where a lot of these big names, you just you don't hear. I mean, David Thompson, you just do not really get a whole lot about it. George Gervin, you you hear a little bit about, but just maybe not as much as you should, and maybe as much as we, you know, you and I even we're probably guilty of it too, of just not really getting into that decade as much as we probably should. And that's a big part of why we're doing this is because it's just such a mysterious lost decade in basketball history and uh, professional basketball history. So it's it's just really cool to kind of dig into these names and and, and these players and franchises and these stories because it's just a just a fascinating fascinating decade uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so you looked at assists per uh, 36 uh, minutes as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the number one guy is uh, probably for people that are astute basketball fans, you might be able to get this, and uh, I'll give you a few seconds to think about it if you can, but uh, it is Kevin Porter at 10. Exactly 10 assists per uh, 36 minutes is an incredible number. Uh, Art Williams, he's second at 9.4. Slick Watts at 8.4. John Lucas is at 8.3. And then Lenny Wilkins uh, at 8.3, which is interesting enough that yeah. he's there. And then yeah. he would, uh, in a few years, uh, he also won a, a championship this year. So, yeah, he's a rare, uh, rare chance of coaching a championship and being in the top five of uh, assists per 36. In the-, in the same decade, yeah. yeah he, yeah. he was, so- yeah, it was sort of the end of his career, but he was a player coach um, early on um, with the Asonics, played with Cleveland for a while as well before retiring and um and and coaching the blazers and then uh, and then coaching the sonics again for the championship season but yeah uh, john lucas was the number one pick in uh for the rockets and um it was a really good guard ended up going to a golden state in a uh in a deal for um for rick barry basically compensation uh, for rick barry which kind of honestly was you know kind of hurt a promising um 
you know, you know, Barry was obviously at the end of his career and losing a, you know, young skilled point guard in Lucas kind of, yeah, honestly, probably set the uh, Rockets uh, back. Uh, they had other issues as well, but, um, and um, so, yeah, and Slick Watts was a sort of a cult hero for the um, uh, for the Sonics in the 70s. I think he may have been one of the first players to popularize the headband. I know Will had it, obviously, but uh, but, but Slick was one of the uh, was one of the uh, I, I believe, if I remember correctly, was also one of the pioneers of her headbands. So. Yeah, and, and with the awesome, like, and, and he uh, of, like, the bald guy wearing the headband, too, is, is a really cool thing as well, because usually we had seen a lot of, you know, and especially for a long time, we saw a lot of the guys that wore the headbands were, like, the big hair and the big afros and that sort of stuff to kind of keep, he was bald, and no, man, I'm wearing, the, I'm wearing the headband regardless, yeah. so that's pretty cool, like, we, uh, the, the, the lineage of uh, Baron Davis, so that's, uh, that's. Exactly. Always yes. a good way to look at it. But uh, um, all right, uh, rebounds per thirty-six minutes. Uh, again, uh, three hundred games is kind of the minimum here, uh, so we can look at it. Uh, Mel Daniels at fifteen point three, of course, uh, huge part of the Indiana Pacers uh, in the ABA. MVP uh, also. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll we'll of course talk a lot about that franchise and a lot about Mel Daniels and specifics uh, later uh, in this uh, series. And Swen Nader at fifteen. Uh, rebounds per game. My dad's favorite player of all time, Tom Borwinkle, at 14.5. Uh, Moses Malone at 14.4. And then Artis Gilmore at 13.8. So not a lot of names that I think surprise you, but Sven Nader and Mel Daniels being one and two is, is maybe in a little way kind of surprising. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously Moses is well known. Um, ABA fans should know Mel Daniels. I mean, he was one of the best, uh, you know, players. Uh, you know, Probably one of the 10 best players in ABA, ABA history. Uh, two-time MVP, you know, the led the... Uh, led the uh, Pacers to three championships and five finals appearances. Um, yeah, Swinator probably not quite as well known, but he was a, uh, you know, a, a stout rebounder who kind of bounced around in the ABA and the uh, NBA. Uh, yeah, and Borwinkle for the Bulls um, and, and, you know, and Malone and Gilmore, of course. But yeah, the, the names, on not a lot of, you know, um, other than Moses, not necessarily household names to uh, to most people. And, uh, and Moses, again, you know, uh, most of these guys who are famous from the 70s also had a prominent career in the 80s when obviously the NBA's popularity turned around. Absolutely. Uh, and then uh, last one that we're going to look at here real quick, uh, effective field goal percentage. And this is where you get the very odd use, and that's mostly why I put it in there. Uh, I don't know if I would necessarily use this as a measure of the best players of the decade, but uh, we get Johnny Green at the top at 57.5. Old Johnny Green, he was uh, Royals power forward. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think he was, he, his career was winding down, I believe. Yeah, he, he, he was, yeah. The, I think we found out that he was the first player to actually last to age 38 in uh, in the NBA. So, <laughs> yeah, he, he managed to be, was was a great, uh, you know, was an efficient shooter at least. Um, and he was a smaller guy too, but, but um, you know, he was, he was a forward. It wasn't like, it wasn't like he was a big man just, just shooting at the basket. I mean, yeah. you know, he was making, um, yeah, he was making shots presumably from you know at least some range because obviously you know if he's uh if he's a forward he's not going to be you know he's not gonna be camped out right underneath the basket um all the time so yeah he's sort of an interesting uh one even though you know really he's kind of just kind of part of the early part of the decade mostly yeah. a 60s player uh, and then Bobby Jones uh, comes in second at 56.9. Uh, of course, he had an ABA run with Denver before moving on to Philadelphia, where he's probably more famous to, to yeah. most people and being a key cog in that 80s team and that, that you know, the dynasty with Moses yeah. and Julius and all those sort of guys. And, but, and uh, he was a big he was uh, you know, a stout defender at, at all times. And, and he and um, he and, and Dr. J had a big rivalry, uh, you know, in the early at the end of the ABA. Uh, you know, he and 
Denver and uh, and the New York Nets faced off in the final ABA finals and they you know they they battled each other in that time and then Denver was really good for a few years in the in the AB, in the NBA before uh, Jones was traded and then of course you know they became you know and they were going to they went to several finals in the early 80s and we're going to kind of get into um even though they they went into the 80s we're going to kind of get into a little bit of the uh the evolution of that 76ers team because I think the the way that they evolved from the 70s into the 80s is really interesting and kind of reflective of the changes in the game and, and the changes in Dr. J specifically. Yeah, and then the, uh, the the next two guys are probably not very su- big surprises if you're familiar with effective field goal percentage and effective or uh, familiar with the 70s as well. Artis Gilmore at uh, .558 effective field goal percentage, and then Kareem Abdul-Jabbar just behind him at .555. So those are two guys. Yeah, of course, uh, close to the rim scores. You know, the elite scores, the elite big men of the 70s, uh, with Artis doing a lot of the work in the ABA, and then you know transferring that over to the NBA as well, and then Kareem just being you know Kareem. So <laughs> it's you know uh, towards later, and then the, the the final name on this effective field goal top five and i think uh quickly rising up one of my favorite players of all time goo kennedy yes indeed point five four eight uh he played for the dallas chaparrells the san antonio spurs the spirits of st louis the utah stars and houston in the aba so uh he bounced around a little bit old goo kennedy but yeah. uh, hey he made it on this list damn it so. uh, apparently he and his wife have raised over 40 foster children over the years so that's a pretty neat uh, wow all right go good yeah that yeah is- so um yeah i i honestly don't know much about uh goo kennedy other than you know his name's popped up here and there when looking you know at results and looking at uh, at things but as far as uh learning much about him personally I, we haven't gotten there yet so we'll see if we uh you know it's, it's, a, it's a great name so um so we'll see <laughs> it's it, eugene by the way in case yes, people are curious eugene, eugene goo kennedy so yes. his birth name is so, not goo but i don't know how he got to goo yeah um, with well yeah but. yeah you i don't it happens. I, that's say hey, you know um Anyway, so um, so yeah, I you know the, that's kind of those are the, a, a little dive into the numbers. We're going to try to keep a lot of these episodes uh, short and sweet, just so uh, you know, just just you know, some of them will be more hardcore, more you know, deep dives, but a lot of them we're going to just try to keep. Um, easy and light so that it's, it's it's the summer it's the off season you know you don't want to work too hard you just want to kind of give you like a sense of um you know the history of things so we're gonna uh, you know we got a lot of a lot of things uh, planned you know we got a lot of mysteries to uh to to discover hopefully solve and at least investigate so um so yeah everyone can uh check us out at uh we're on twitter and facebook at over and back nba you can find our podcast home at harvardparoxism.com uh, we are on iTunes and Stitcher, so if you use those services, please give us a uh, rating and review. It helps other people find us, and it makes us feel good about ourselves. So, um, yeah, so, uh, Rich, uh, thanks so much for uh, doing this, and uh, everyone, until next time, thanks for listening. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.